Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Where exactly has 2018 got to? It seems like just yesterday we were popping the cork on a new season of Enterprising Individuals with our look at the Tholian web and speculating on what Star Trek Discovery would be like. And in the wink of an eye, which we haven't covered on the show yet, we're near the end of this season of Enterprising Individuals and speculating on what season two of Star Trek Discovery will be like. The holidays fast approach and everything's on fire, which is really bad. Uh, I'm going to do the usual call for donations to the charity of me at the end of this episode, but I want to start the show by encouraging you to donate to the relief effort for those affected by the California wildfires, which are frankly devastating. And it's not just rich, famous people who are being affected by this. You know, you see Gerard Butler or whoever on Instagram or YouTube, you know, talking about losing their million dollar homes. And it's tragic, no question, but plenty of people without a lot of money or support are losing everything, and they need your help. And I know, it can be tough to find the right organization to give your money to, to be sure it's going to the right people. I get it. So what I've done is I've included in the show notes a few links where you can donate, and it will directly help those affected by the fires and the people trying to fight them. And we're talking money here. Don't don't donate food or supplies. You know, more often than not, that can of pumpkin pie filling from the back of your pantry is not what they need exactly. So if you live in the area and you're not affected by the fires, by all means, give blankets, water, get your hands dirty by helping out. But for everybody else, these organizations, they just, they just need money. They need your financial support to keep the relief going. So I've included a link to the United Way of Greater L.A. Always support the United Way. Uh, I've also got a link to an organization called Direct Relief, which provides specific support? Seriously, they're a humanitarian aid organization. They provide medical aid, masks, and other supplies to those affected by the wildfires. Uh, GoFundMe actually has a page specifically set up to guide you to where you can contribute to relief efforts. So I've got links for all of those organizations, and I've got a link to a slight article that, boy, it just goes right through. It shows you just about every organization that's fighting or supporting those who are fighting the fires uh, who or who've been affected by the fires. So check that out. And even if you're listening to this days or weeks after this show comes out uh, in the middle of November, emphasis on the ember here, uh, even after the fires have gone out, there's still going to be people without homes. Uh, There's going to be medical and recovery efforts. There's people looking for support and for shelter. So don't think, well, the fire's out, so I'm tuning out. Please consider contributing to one of these organizations. Gerard Butler, he needs your help. He's living in a Motel 6. No, no, I'm I'm sure that's not true, but there are many people who lost everything, including uh, their ab makeup in these fires. So we're all in this together. Just think about sharing a bit of what you have. Okay, let's get right to it. 
I had a few Trek news items I thought you should know, and then we'll get right to those. Also, last week on the show, I spoke with Dave Rossi about this side of paradise, which of course became a discussion about Spock and what an incredible character he is. And that got me thinking about all the amazing moments that Spock has brought us over the years that I'm thankful for, if you'll allow me to awkwardly wedge Thanksgiving into this. So I made up a list of my top five favorite Spock moments, and this is just Leonard Nimoy we're talking about here. Sorry, Zach Quinto, or Ethan Peck, or the sweaty kid from Star Trek Three whose face starts bubbling. We're going OG Spock on this one, so stay tuned till the end of the episode to hear those. Okay. Get your Spock ears on, get ready to talk some hot Trek goss, and let's get underway. The current technological gold rush is having your own digital network, a la CBS All Access, or Disney Plus, or, I don't know, the Hallmark Channel Extreme. And the gold nuggets in this case are shows on those networks. Does, does this metaphor work? I've been rewatching Deadwood a lot recently, so I'm not too f***ing sure. Anyway, franchises long thought dead or at least mummified have been announcing new installments left and right, and of course, Star Trek is no exception. Following the precepts of Star Trek something on all the time, laid down by CBS TV Studios president David Staff, CBS has announced the return of Jean-Luc Picard in his own show, currently in development, and an animated series, Lower Decks, produced and presumably co-written by Rick and Morty writer Mike McMahon. Both will join Discovery as the pillars of the new Trek edifice, but now rumors of a third project at CBS have everyone talking. Deadline reports that Michelle Yeoh, Captain Giorgio, and Emperor Giorgio from Discovery is in talks to star in a Giorgio spinoff that will recount her service in Section 31. This is simultaneously awesome news and... uh, news. I mean, first off, adding Michelle Yeoh to anything is a good idea. And as far as making Trek appeal to the Asian market, not like where you get your tofu, but like the huge and growing Chinese TV and film market, this is a great move because Michelle Yeoh is she's one of the greatest and most respected Hong Kong actresses of all time. And she still got it because she was a big part of the success, both on and off screen, of a little film called Crazy Rich Asians, which has made about $240 million worldwide. And it hasn't even opened in China yet. It opens on the 30th of November. However, as an actress that's in demand, and as a hit film that's becoming a trilogy, why would she do a web show for CBS? I mean, you know, they clearly wanted to hook her into something with this proposed show. Um, you know, that's how they left it at the end of season one of Discovery. But she, she's a movie star. I mean, this would be like, you know, Julia Roberts is doing Homecoming for Amazon, right? But say Gary Marshall. I know he's dead. Just go with it. Say Gary Marshall uh, wants to do a Pretty Woman revival. Pretty Woman, the next generation. And it's a smash hit, and it spawns a Pretty Woman franchise. And then Amazon's like, um, so season two of Homecoming? <laughs> she wouldn't do that. <laughs> it seems unlikely. You're not going to get Julia Roberts. But who knows? The money could be really good. And there's another aspect to the digital gold rush, TM, that I mentioned before. This idea that, you know, this isn't just TV. It's not even HBO. This is premium digital content. This is not some Chuck Lorre sitcom. And if you can get capital A actors to feel like they're doing something special, and it's not just a guest spot on Frasier, then you'll see more big name actors. They'll do stuff like this. Um, take the proposed Loki show that will be on Disney+. Plus. They've already got Tom Hiddleston signed on. Now, he's not exactly Benedict Cumberbatch in terms of draw, but he could probably have his pick of scripts for a few years in Hollywood after he puts the mantle of Loki down. But now he's doing a comic book show on streaming TV. I bet the money's good, and I bet, 
well, you know, it's streaming TV from the biggest entertainment company in the world. So there you go. Paramount can't provide either the most money or boast that they're the biggest company in the world. But they do have something going on with Discovery. So who can say maybe that will be enough for Michelle Yeoh? Apart from the business angle, here's why I'm not 100% thrilled about this. Section 31. Section 31. Section 31. Everything's Section 31. I don't care about Section 31. There's this thing in the fan base of Trek, you know, we talked about it on the show before, where we all like this show about exploring and making friends and, I don't know, stopping moons from hitting planets and letting Ray Wise shoot you with an arrow rather than inconvenience his planet. But the things that everybody seems to remember or gets really excited about from Trek are these outliers in the franchise's philosophy. The Borg. Everybody wants to see him fight the Borg. You know, they're Trek zombies. But remember, we beat the Borg by making them go sleepy by, you know, until beef stew broke the Borg Queen's neck, but whatever. Uh, I guess Ron Moore was working some things out. Yesterday's Enterprise, so awesome. Uh, yeah, remember that that was a hellscape of a universe that Picard was willing to die to prevent from happening? Oh, Section 31, oh, they're so cool. Uh, was it an organization willing to commit genocide, starring a dude who thinks it's cool to be in your room sitting in the dark when you wake up? Yeah, I've never seen that before. Also, a guy willing to let his brain die rather than give up a secret that would make the galaxy better in the long run? A Section 31 series, in my opinion, should be a methodical exploration of how a post-scarcity society of communist hippies could spawn a sociopathic cadre of mass murderers like... I get it. Every utopia has a potential story of what do we have to do to protect it? But I don't, that's, that's Jack Bauer crap. That's not what's on sale in Star Trek. It's, it's close-minded to limit our fiction to having to share our own modern socio-political concerns. You want a Section 31 show? Just show us that Archer got extra crabby after mothballing the Annex 01, and he starts up a xenophobic branch of the UFP that's answerable to no one. You know you can see that happening. But that's not what we'll get. You know, we'll get the lady that eats sentient beings jetting around the galaxy. She's shooting dudes in the face with one-liners. And she's jumping in and out of bed with a rainbow of aliens. Which, okay, I'm kind of talking myself into it, but it just seems a little more James Bond than James Kirk. And let's face it, even Kirk or Bond would never eat Kelpie and stew. How can you eat at a time like this? Because I'm hungry. Speaking of food, let's talk Taco Tuesday. We discussed the latest Discovery short trek, Calypso, on our last episode of Discoverage, our live Star Trek Discovery recap show. And I have to say, I wasn't a huge fan of Calypso. Um, I get into it a little bit, or a lot, in that episode. Um, and I don't want to be negative. You know, if you liked it, that's great. Um, I'm glad you did. My problem was that it just seems like CBS was really marketing it as something scary. Uh, you hear that it's a guy trapped with an AI uh, and so I think I got a little focused on that. Um, and it really it kind of prevented me from enjoying it a lot. I don't blame the writers like Michael Shabon. Um, you know, the episode's called Calypso. And as guest Scott Pearson points out on the show, the the, par the parallels, uh, the allusions are extremely clear. So telling that story was always their intent. And I respect that. I, I guess I don't know why they didn't try to sell it uh, as something warm and, and different. I think that I would have responded to that, but CBS decided to do what they did. It just seems that shock and tension is the common thread for marketing discovery as far as CBS is concerned. After having meditated on the episode for a while, uh, I, I, still don't, I still don't like it very much. Um, I'll grant you it's beautiful to look at. 
Uh, I'm amazed by what Discovery can accomplish on a TV budget, but nothing really happens in the episode. I mean, it's basically the story of Odysseus and Calypso, beat for beat. And literary illusion is fine, but not when that's the whole story. Uh, Aldous Hodge, he was kind of flat, uh, which was the script. It's not him. I know he's a good actor. And there's no real conflict in the episode. You know, Odysseus's time with Calypso um, in the Odyssey, uh, it's a break in the story. It's, it's a lacuna before he, I don't know, he goes out and blinds a cyclops or something cool. But as a standalone story, I don't know how well that little scene works. And then there's the whole Wally connection, which is a, a bit of a stretch, but you know, it's there, you have to admit. You know, the most interesting elements of Calypso were the setting itself. Um, that's what I really kind of keyed into. I liked... The fact that it's Discovery 10,000, 10,000, hopefully not, a thousand years in the future, and it's self-aware now. You know, the computer calls itself Zora. It seems like a bleak future uh, for the ship and the show, but it's different and it's interesting. um, And I like to see that. So I hope, hope, hope that we get more of the future of the future that I'm always talking about on Discovery. And yes, I did notice the Vidresh sounds like a corruption of the Federation. So more of that, please. Anyway, I'm still looking forward to the next short trek, The Brightest Star, which will be a story about Saru. We'll actually be getting some backstory on one of our characters from Discovery, and I think that's going to be great. I hope it's good, and you can find out what we thought of it on December 6th at 9 p.m. Central, right after it airs on CBS All Access. I'll be joined by my co-host Ella Pearson on a new episode of Discoverage, talking about The Brightest Star with special guest and former Enterprising Individuals guest Eleanor Tremere. So tune in then. You know, actually, Eleanor's got a really great article on io9 about why we need utopian fiction now more than ever, which is something that we talked about previously when she was on the show. I'll leave a link to the article in the show notes, so check that out. You can tweet at her at extratremereal on Twitter and tell her what you thought. And you can follow us on Twitter, of course, at EISTpod to get updates on Trek news and for when we go live with more Discoverage on December 6th. And now a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for Euro-style contemporary home living in a house not obliterated by the Husnock? This beautiful home will have you saying, it must be some kind of illusion. This gated Malibu estate was designed by Ellis Gelman and appeared in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Survivors. It features high ceilings, a spa-like bath, and ample closet space. Non-functioning phaser rifles included, but you won't need that. You've got the planet all to yourselves. Enjoy two acres of lavender and rose garden, bamboo flooring, an abundance of natural light, and a chef-inspired kitchen with a double oven and beautiful emerald stone countertops that'll have you saying, Good tea. Nice house. Hello, I'm Kevin Uxbridge. You don't understand the scope of this deal. This isn't just the best house in Malibu or in California or on the planet Earth. It's the best of them all. All houses everywhere. Our four beds and 3.5 baths and 10 car parking with detached guest unit worth $6 million. There is no law for how good a deal this is. Closing costs covered if you're not a hooshnock. Mr. Spock. Dr. Spock? Some people call him 
Dr. Spock? That's a different guy. I mean, I'm sure Spock has doctorates. It was extremely confusing for me growing up. Every time I had a sore throat, my mom would say she was going to get Dr. Spock. I got real excited for a bit. No, I'm talking about everyone's favorite Vulcanian. For my money, probably one of the best characters in sci-fi, possibly in fiction, period. Uh, And I mean that. We've talked at length on this show about the fascinating (laughs) contradictions in his character that make him so intriguing. But something that really blows me away is the consistency with which the character has been rendered over the, geez, 45 years that the character has been on screen. Like, Spock shows up, and you know what he's going to do and say, and you know what isn't Spock. You know, know, sometimes he's a little too smiley in the early episodes, but think of all that the character goes through. And I don't mean having his brain pulled out. He goes from classic Spock in TOS to, you know, emotionless Colonar Spock in the motion picture. He loosens up a little bit. Uh, in Wrath of Khan. Then he gets the reset button hit, and he's kind of loopy for a while while he's kind of relearning himself. Uh, Then he's, well, we don't have to go that far into Star Trek V. And by Star Trek VI, he's got full mastery of both his Vulcan and his human sides. You can really follow the progression of the complexity of his character through all of that. And, you know, even when he's flying around in ski boots, it's a testament to the skill of the writers and of Leonard Nimoy. So here, in no particular order, are five of my favorite Spock moments. Number five, let's actually say a little bit about Star Trek V. Having Spock have a brother is a pretty big deal. Uh, Michael Burnham was hardly a gleam in Brian Fuller's eye at this point, so this was a big change for the story and the character. And the way the script kind of bounces around it uh, sucks. Uh, It's not really great. Um, The impact of this on Spock gets a little lost in all the... um, what does God need with the starship business? Uh, however, it's a it's a funnier movie uh, than most Star Trek movies, at least it's trying to be. And Spock gets some good lines in. Uh, this line isn't particularly funny, but it's informative about how much emotion lies beneath the surface of Spock's Vulcan control. I love the part when Claw, who is the shaggy dog of this piece, he finally arrives at Shakari, but instead of killing Kirk, he's asked to save him from the planet's surface. Having the Klingon ambassador aboard the Enterprise, Spock calmly asks that the ambassador command Claw to beam Kirk up. But when the ambassador balks, Spock tells him, Damn you, sir. You will try. When you've got that guy that doesn't break or show emotion or swear, and you have him do it, that tells us how important this is to him, and it's it's a great moment. Number four is the OK Corral showdown in the TOS episode Spectre of the Gun. The situation is, Chekhov is dead, killed by Morgan Earp, of all people, and the OK Corral showdown is just hours away. The sleeping gas McCoy whips up. It's not working, so it looks like our crew has had it. But Spock does his Spock thing, and he reasons that since nothing is real, it's the belief in the unreal that's fatal. (laughs) Leave it to Spock to decide that logic, you know, that thing he's based his whole life on, logic is illogical in this situation. So it is logical to ignore the seemingly real. He uses logic to make the illogical logical. Then to add to that, he mind melds with the rest of the landing party to impart them with that logical, illogical certainty that he possesses so that Earp's bullets will be ineffective. Awesome, as Al Swearingen himself put it. What the f*** was that? Number three comes from the Enterprise incident, one of the admittedly few but good episodes in the third season. Spock is dispatched to keep the Romulan commander busy while Kirk and Scotty steal and install the Romulan cloaking device on the Enterprise. And it is an interesting question. We know Vulcans can't lie, but can they dissemble in the service of duty, like, you know, spy stuff? Or if they're being interrogated, can they give false information? Presumably, yes, because... 
you know, when we meet Tuvok, he is installed with the Maquis under false pretenses uh, when Voyager begins. But I like to imagine that Spock is being 99% honest and he's only lying by omission when he allows the Romulan commander to seduce him. Like, he really does like her. He's not lying about that, but he's being kind of cagey about how he's actually going to betray the Federation. He's just kind of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's just kind of going along. I guess he does lie about the Vulcan death grip thing, though, so we've got that. And I guess <laughs> it's deception when he needs to buy time uh, at the end of the episode so Scotty can get the device installed. And he's like, uh, I've got some last words. Uh, 20 minutes. I need 20 minutes for my last words. <laughs> Spock, Spock having to vamp is priceless. Anyway, it's totally awesome when he goes James Bond on the Romulan commander after he's been found out. And he's like, that's right. I'm the first officer of the Enterprise. What is your present form of execution? <laughs> Uh, Number two is not one of the great episodes of season three, but still entertaining. It's The Way to Eden, and of course, of everyone on the Enterprise, the illogical but equitable Spock gets along with the hippies. (laughs) This whole episode, it just reeks of middle-aged dudes trying to prove that they're like with it with the 60s. You know, big medallion, shirts open down to here. Uh, The guy that wrote the teleplay, Arthur Heinemann, was in his late 50s when he wrote it, so I think that it probably explains that, but at least it gave us a groovy scene of Spock jamming out with the hippies on the Vulcan loot. That reaches. Oh, that's now. That's real now. And before number one, I've got an honorable mention. We're often told that Vulcans are stronger than humans, but we see it firsthand in Amok Time when Spock, in the grip of Ponfar, turns his desktop computer into a pawn cake with a few taps of his fist. Nice work, prop department. But finally, number one, also from Amok Time, is the moment that the Ponfar has passed, the trial is over, and the truth about Stan's love for T'Pring is revealed. T'Pring did Spock pretty dirty on this one, trying to get him to kill his captain or be killed himself through the Konak Caliphy. Logical, but cold. But Spock drops the mic on her savagely when he tells Stan that he can have her, but... After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. Brutal! What do you think? Surely you've got your own favorite Spock moments. I tried to pick some that you hadn't heard a million times before. Yes, yes, the needs of the many. I still love that Amok Time quote. What are your favorite Spock moments? Let us know on Facebook or Twitter at EIST Pod or post them on our Facebook discussion group, Enterprising Interlocutions. I want to hear your favorite Spock moments. If you need a little refresher on the greatest moments of Spock's life, why not pre-order David A. Goodman's The Autobiography of Spock on Amazon? David has previously written autobiographies of Jean-Luc Picard and James T. Kirk, and now he turns his sights on Mr. Spock, not Dr. Spock. I've got a link in the show notes where you can click through to Amazon and pre-order the book today. When you visit Amazon by clicking on our Amazon links or by clicking through the Amazon banner on enterprisingindividuals.com and you make a purchase, a percentage of your transaction comes back to us at no extra cost to you and helps keep the Warp Core lit here. And this counts for anything, not just Star Trek stuff. You can actually bookmark the banner and when you click through to Amazon that way, whatever you buy, whenever you buy it, the same deal applies. And maybe you're saying, no thanks. I'm going to wait till somebody publishes Mr. Spock's book of fine art photography, to which I would say, I see you're a man of taste as well. 
That'll make a nice conversation piece for your coffee table. But I'd also say if you like what you hear on Enterprising Individuals and you want to support the show and maybe help Enterprising Individuals branch out into fine art photography, why not head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. It's there that you can sign up to be a crew member for the show for a small monthly donation. You can get access to our exclusive subscriber content, like our live shows featuring our live show with Melinda Snodgrass at Convergence 2018, my DS9 rewatch recaps, and our new episode commentaries, like our latest commentary for The Cage. We've got show merchandise and more. Just head to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Become a member of the crew today. Anybody can join our crew, and we're not really going to take naked but artful pictures of people. We just want to bring you great Trek-related content, and you can help make that a reality at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. As always, anything you can contribute to the show will be appreciated and will help keep us flying. Thanks. We've still got a prize for the winner of our review drawing. iTunes user James Thurber left us a nice five-star review on iTunes, and may I say, love the catbird seat. Great stuff. And he is the winner of a 50th anniversary edition Star Trek Trivial Pursuit card set, but we don't know where to send it, other than the offices of the New Yorker, care of James Thurber. So, James, if that really is your name, send us an email at eistpod at gmail.com and let us know where we can send your prize. Remember, listeners, you can tweet to us or message the show and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash eistpod or find us at eistpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at eistpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And while you're at it, check out our Trek t-shirts at tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash just enough trope. One word. That's our parent company. Captain Janeway shirts, Chancellor Garon shirts, Star Trek paper doll shirts. We've got it all. So get Trek merch from enterprising individuals today. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts? Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write a little review if the spirit moves you, and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings and reviews on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful. Next week on Enterprising Individuals. We've done it. For three seasons and 52 episodes, we've covered the good, bad, and the ugly of the Star Trek universe. And it's been quite a journey. Little did we know, it was a journey to the bottom. Author and frequent show guest Alan Gratz returns to enterprising individuals next week to talk about an episode of Star Trek Voyager that is famously bad. So bad that it got itself kicked out of canon. But is it actually that bad? It is. But is it? Yes, it is. It's Threshold, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper. Hello. Captain Picard.